Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode's special guest is from William Wright Commercial. Their principal and managing broker stops by to cover what has led them to complete more than $1.2 billion in transactions last year. We also cover their upcoming expansions into Kamloops and Nanaimo, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts now. My name is Corey Wright. I am the founder and president of William Wright Commercial. We're a commercial real estate brokerage in the province of BC, currently with five offices, soon to be six when Kamloops comes on board. And then we'll be adding our seventh location in 2023 in Nanaimo, which we're very pleased about. So lots going on. Awesome, man. I'm excited about that. And when's the Kamloops uh, one coming online? We're, we're hoping to have it done by summer of this year. Obviously, there's been some uh, there's some been some development delays with what's going on up there, and everyone else is dealing with the world. But uh, we're we're very hopeful to have it open by summer. And then Nanaimo, we've just acquired a building in downtown Nanaimo, so we're hoping to have that one online, hopefully early 2023, summer 2023, the latest. Oh, how exciting, man! One of the things I wanted to ask you off the top here, you guys put some stuff out on your social media about closing 1.2 billion in transactions last year. And I'm wondering just if, I mean, uh, there's a ton of data that would come from that, but is there anything that kind of stuck out to you in terms of different market market segments or different regions where you saw a lot of that growth? Yeah, well, I think, I think, I mean, we've been very bullish on a lot of the secondary and tertiary markets in BC, such as like Victoria and Nanaimo and Kelowna and Kamloops. And I think over this past year, we saw a lot of transition from buyers that maybe typically would look at maybe buying in BC's lower mainland that have looked into other markets. Uh, the lower mainland has been very challenging to create cash flow, obviously, with cap rates going down and prices going up. And with population growth, like in Victoria and Nanaimo, as an example, uh, they've become very, very attractive. And one thing we, we preach to our buyers is never pay for your own risk. And by that, we mean, if you look at multifamily in Victoria, and you go back, let's say, three or four, maybe five years now, you might get like a five and a half cap rate on a building in Victoria. That same multifamily building in Vancouver might yield only say a three or three and a half cap rate at that same time. But the vacancy rates were almost on par. So investors, institutional buyers would go over to Victoria and say, well, if I can buy a very similar asset at a cheaper price, get a higher return and have almost the same to little no vacancy challenges, I'll take that all, all day. And over the past three to five years, We've seen prices of that asset class go up dramatically as larger institutional buyers have gone into those markets. So we saw a big transition over this past year where a lot, I think a lot of where the deal flows were coming from some of these secondary markets that maybe weren't on a lot of people's radar five years ago, but now are coming top priority as it's harder and harder to make money here in the lower mainland. Yeah, no, that is interesting to see. And we, it's certainly reflected in just what our reps and, and members of our team are seeing throughout these areas. Is there anything that kind of surprises you when you talk about these areas like Nanaimo and Victoria? You mentioned multifamily. Is there any kind of niches uh, opening up in different land types, like, you know, industrial or office, things like that? Well, I think when you look at like Greater Victoria, which depending on what report you read, has the lowest vacancy rate of industrial in North America. It's probably a market that you wouldn't think has that. And I think one of the things that surprised me a lot is we've done a lot of work in that asset class in that particular area. And the absorption rate of product has been very high. And kind of trying to quantify that, is that pent up demand that is just flushing through? Or is that really a market that's starting to build itself? And I think we're at the point now, we're kind of believing in that market a lot more because no matter how much we want to call it, it's still a small market versus say a, a Vancouver or a Calgary or something like that. But demand for that product has been growing, which traditionally when you see that, 
and the pent-up demand has been flushed out, that's population growth. That's new jobs getting created. That's companies now relocating or adding secondary offices. So I think that was one thing too that we all sort of sat back and watched that we're getting much more confident in. That's a market that's going to continue to establish itself. And one thing we find when we talk to clients is just when you talk to them about, say, Nanaimo, which we're very, very bullish on, there's been lots of multiple offer situations going on in there like everywhere else. Just how many people almost come across surprised where they think, oh, I didn't, you know, why Nanaimo? And when you look at the macroeconomics of it, it's just Victoria on a smaller scale, almost kind of like what Surrey's become to Vancouver. We believe Nanaimo will become that to Victoria. So just educating people on that, how those you know, population growth and demographics are changing and the industries in those markets are growing and they're becoming stronger and more pillars of support is something that we've, we've noticed a lot over this past year. And we're going to try to continue to educate as many people as we can. Yeah, no, that is tremendous. And I think too, some of the stuff you're seeing with the airport expansion, there's tremendous opportunity that's unfilled there. The 1.2 billion in transaction, what does that represent in terms of your growth? So we're growing right now as a company. We're growing at about 20 to 25% per annum right now. We are expanding our office bases, which obviously is contributing to that. But we're also at the same point in time, expanding our broker base. And prices honestly haven't really, you know, during the pandemic, there's obviously asset classes that saw major growth and some that saw stagnant growth. So it's, it's more or less, I think, just a market that lacks supply that's given us the ability to grow that at a much faster pace, that's really contributed to that 20, 25% growth we're seeing year over year right now. And then in terms of driving that growth, you mentioned the listing side, but from an internally, is there anything that you guys have done a little bit differently in terms of process or the kind of broker that you're looking for? Well, I think ideally when we, we started this is in the, the real estate business, whether it's commercial or residential, it's always been a very independent type business where you're an independent sales rep, you do what you have to do. You're not really getting the proper leadership or maybe the proper you know, team to work within. We really tried to focus our company on sort of building that. And we really focus on hiring individuals who they are versus the resume or book of business they bring with them. So I think that is very key to sort of how we've been able to grow at the pace we have. And I think just creating a really, really good work environment and culture for everybody. And like, kind of like a, it feels much more like a big family than it does a company that a lot of people have continued to bring in other people to help grow the business to get us to where we are. And in terms of kind of like the next couple of months uh, in 2022, what are your expectations? You mentioned that there's some things have kind of exploded this month, but are you expecting that to continue? I think right now over the next, at least for the next two quarters, right now, the big fear of inflation is obviously there and, and rising. And I shouldn't say fear, it's a kind of reality at this point. A lot of people try to get money out of the bank and into hard assets that it can try to curb inflation. So I think that's put a big push on it. Uh, the threat of rising interest rates and obviously what's going on right now with Omicron, that could maybe push back uh, any short-term increases on it. But I think the threat of rising interest rates and the lack of supply, we anticipate at least for Q1 and Q2 will be extremely busy. We've seen that right out of the gate. It'll be hard to say if supply comes online and if, if it if it does, will be great. Maybe somewhat try to balance the market out a little bit, but if not, I think it's going to be a seller's market for at least the next six months before we start to see any any let up. And it'll be Q3 is kind of in question right now with supply chain issues and all of that stuff, but it could be uh, an extremely busy year ahead of for everyone in the real estate industry. I wonder if we can jump a little bit into the business building side of things. And if you could just, I guess, outline how you came to the decision to kind of step out on your own. Before I got into this industry, I came from a, an industry where I, I felt like we had, we did, 
you know, purchased commercial real estate. We had, we were, you know, tenants in buildings. We had bought and sold businesses and the passion for me was always to get into the commercial real estate and the brokerage business side of it. So coming through as a client type person before getting into the business, I thought there was a better way that we could do it. And I think a lot of elements of customer service and stuff like that, that we take for granted, um, just to, just when we do business doesn't really maybe reflect all that much in our industry, unfortunately, as much as I, as much as I hate to say that. So we really try to pride ourselves on things like customer service communication. So when I, I left the previous brokers I was at to go and do this, it was more or less just, we felt that there was a niche in the market that we could capitalize on and continue to grow. And, and that, that was maybe the, the driving force to kind of go out on my own at the time. Now, when you started out, I wonder if you can kind of contrast the challenges as you're building the business to kind of what you guys are facing now. Well, I think one thing too, that we, you know, in this business, especially in this, in the BC market and even greater Vancouver is you've got some of the largest international companies in our industry here. And you're also dealing with probably one of the largest international contingency of developers and landowners uh, in downtown Vancouver, especially. And I think one challenge we had out of the gate is we never had any desire to be a hundred brokers in a downtown Vancouver office. Our goal was always to have more offices and more markets. So we kind of have boots on the ground for lack of better words in these markets versus us parachuting in and trying to learn markets for clients. So we always had an uphill battle, especially when we started because we were so small that a lot of people would say, oh, you mean small firm, no one knows who they are. They don't have any international connections. So we battled that quite a bit in the earlier years. Uh, we've been very fortunate over the past few years, that has sort of subsided now as we've sort of grown. And when we open Kamloops, which will be our sixth brokerage office, uh, we will actually, at that point, offer have more dedicated commercial brokerage offices in BC than anybody else. And that was our goal when we started this thing, because we wanted to make sure we had tons of coverage everywhere and make sure we have boots on the ground and people that are speaking like the local language, for lack of better words. I think there's a big disconnect if some, someone's sitting in Vancouver watching float planes at, uh, come in and out of the harbor and you're calling somebody in Nanaimo that may or may not be able to speak the same language or connect on the same level. So it's important to us that we've had that. So we've been able, we've been able to manage that and grow beyond that. But that was definitely a challenge in the earlier parts was trying to, trying to battle, you know, starting a new brand in a marketplace that's been dominated by international competition. You know, you, you referenced the expansion of the offices and I'm wondering kind of how you see the business unfolding in the coming years going through your site. I saw the property management side had been um, updated. Have you thought about going south or going, you know, to Alberta or these other provinces? What is that? How do you see your business kind of unfolding there? We've really been, we've really been following Alberta quite a bit and we've also been following Ontario quite a bit. I think for us, our goal is to sort of cement ourselves as the, the, the biggest with the best footprint of brokerages for in our industry in BC first, which that we anticipate will be you know the next 24 months. Calgary's come a long way over the past you know six seven years, so we watch that quite a bit. But I think at this point we do have aspirations to go into Alberta, and I think eventually probably maybe even go as far as Ontario with it. For us, it's more of a quality over quantity model when it comes to the businesses. Our offices aren't large offices, and by that I mean in Vancouver. With our admin staff, there's probably 18 of us here versus maybe some of our competition might have one, one to 200 people in that same office. So we're not looking to sort of continue to expand beyond our walls uh, in the offices we have. So when we go into places like, say, Calgary or Edmonton, we can go in with a smaller footprint, but really focus on getting the quality individuals in that market to work with us and obviously the quality client base. So to answer your question, we definitely have aspirations to go, you know, you know, interprovincial here relatively quickly within 36 months. Wow. 
when you're breaking into these new markets, let's use Edmonton or Alberta as an example. Do you guys have like a certain kind of land owner that you're after or like kind of a database building approach? Just kind of curious how you're, you're going in there. Yeah. So we've always kind of, I don't want to say like working from the outskirts because it's probably the wrong words, but instead of going in and trying to go compete for the same office tower that maybe some of the international brokerages currently do dealing with international ownership, potentially we'll go find maybe more of a, a mom and pop type clientele that we'll build from. And we've always worked very, very hard to build a resume before we show up downtown. And by that, I mean, we would go into markets in say Vancouver, you might go back, you know, 10 years ago, we might be in East Vancouver, where East Vancouver isn't what it is today. And we would sort of get a dominating foothold in that marketplace where we we're doing a lot of buildings, and then work our way back into the downtown core, where now we're not going after the assets that everyone else is to say, hey, we want to be here, we're brand new, we're now coming to the table with years of experience in the market, hundreds of millions of dollars in acquisitions, sales and leasing behind us to do so. So that's how we think we'd anticipate going into similar markets like Alberta is working on the fringes with smaller type clients, working our way up to those larger towers type of thing, which now we've been very fortunate in Vancouver over the past nine years, those phone calls come in now. I want to ask you a little bit about your professional background. And this is almost, I guess, like a, a personal assessment, but you know, you're a leader of a, of a business that has continued to focus on growth. And what is there anything that in, as you look back, either in your life or kind of your education, how your, your family was put together, that's kind of contributed to your success? You know, did you come from an entrepreneurial family, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, to be, to be honest with you, my, my dad was a school teacher. And I'm pretty sure he thinks I'm nuts because I wake up every day and I don't have a guaranteed paycheck. So I mean, we're, we're cut completely different. But I will say, uh, growing up, him being a teacher, he was always very much like there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And as a kid, I remember like doing like science projects, probably in grade, you know, probably grade six for this. For, and, and I think I've built this work of art and my dad looks at it like, what is that? And completely takes it apart. And he's just putting my head through a meat grinder to redo it and, and, you know, just make sure it's done right the first time. And it took me so long to figure out the difference between doing something good and doing something great. It's about five minutes. It's, you know, checking back and making sure it's done. So he really instilled that in us as kids growing up, that there's a right way to do things. You just do it right off the front. So that sort of stuck with me and we use it you know, I, I echo that to everyone in the company today that to take your time in doing it. So that I think was, you know, was really big, you know, growing up, we're all into sports. So I think you, that competitive nature was there, but I think a lot of things looking back on it now, a lot of those relationships you establish when you're growing up through sports and university and all of that stuff, you don't realize, realize how much that plays a huge factor in your, your life or your business life, you know, 20 years down the road after that. So one thing that stuck with me as a kid is, is if you chase a paycheck, you'll always be good. But if you chase your passion, you'll always, you can be great. And if you're great at what you do, regardless to if you're the best school teacher or you're the best realtor, or you're the best lawyer, you'll always be highly compensated. And I think one thing too, a lot of people in business, they, they can be very short sighted. And I remember when I started like selling sushi restaurants for free, um, just cause I needed to get a listing. And even now to this day, uh, when we're going, we're building territories and we're building markets. If a broker walks into my office and says, I had to cut my commission to get this deal done, I'm the first guy to give him a hug. Because if we can close a deal and we can make two clients happy in the process, we can build on that. But if we don't close that deal, we can't. So, I mean, I think it's just a matter of just making sure we continue with the same thoughts for years to come. From a management perspective, you know, you started small and now you're this, this scaling company. Is there anything that sticks out to you in terms of how you've changed or evolved in your approach from, from managing a team that's, that's grown so significantly? Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think in business, a lot of people 
you know, the number one asset that every company has, regardless to what industry you're in, are, are your people. And I think a lot of companies lose sight of that, where they think that the company they've built is bigger than the individuals involved. And for us, we actually, you know, review it completely different. So, I mean, over the years that we've been able to grow this, we really focused on like just hiring genuinely really good people who are passionate about our business, regardless to their backgrounds or their resumes or lack thereof. And I think as we continue to grow and expand, that becomes a much more of a bigger component. So looking back on it, it was something we didn't realize at the time was so key to our success. But now, you know, fast forward nine years is it's it's the one thing that's got us to where we are. It's just great people and hiring good people. And we're going to continue you mean to, to do that for years to come, whether it be here in BC or even Alberta or Ontario. Okay. That is tremendous, man. Uh, jumping into the final four, these are kind of four static questions that get asked each person. Um, wondering if you have a favorite book, could be fiction, nonfiction, business, et cetera. So I, I'm a junkie for Audible. I listen to everything day and night. So uh, I could probably give you 50 books, but I'm going to go back to kind of the one that, that I think I still go back and listen to it probably at least once a year is uh, good to great by Jim Collins, which is, which is a great book. Anything by Jim Collins is really, really good. Um, so I'd have to stick with that Love one. It. Personal favorite as well. Uh, best personal advice that you've received. Be a sponge and absorb as much as you can. Always listen. Don't be the one always talking. Awesome. App uh, or piece of software that you can't live without kind of aside from your basic word processor and email. Well, this is kind of like, I'm not a very good technology guy. Like I probably have an iPhone too. So if I can go a little bit off, off course with that best piece. And to me, this is technology. This is how bad I am at it. My Peloton can't live without it. I'm on it every day. I'm working while I'm on it. I'm listening to podcasts while I'm on it. I'm listening to audibles, trying to educate myself while I'm on it. So that's, that's one thing. If I can call that technology or software, that's the one that I can't live without. Yeah, no, I love it, man. And then last one for you here, favorite restaurant on Vancouver Island. You know what? I'm going to, I unfortunately haven't eaten as much at nighttime over there as I do during the day. So I'm going to say my, uh, my favorite place would be Darcy's pub because they've got the best, in my opinion, the best chicken kale Caesar I've ever had. So I usually always venture there and then we walk across the farmhouse and we get these amazing, they're not low fat by any stretch of the imagination, chocolate chip cookies that, you know, you eat two of them, you want to fall asleep. They're so good. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.